Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. Java 21 is here. Let's talk about the evolution of Java and all the fantastic new features in this version. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Since 2018, we get a new version of Java every six months. And version 21, released this month, will be a long-term support version that can be used for many years. It also brings a lot of new features and improvements in both the language and the runtime. Actually, there are so many that we'll probably not get all of them discussed in this podcast. Let's see what our experts find the most important facts we need to know about Java 21. Hi, nice to see you again, and thank you for inviting me to this amazing podcast. I'm gladly also that uh, these amazing people joining us, expertise from everywhere. So my name is Mohammed Taman, and I'm working as a chief solutions architect for uh, Nortel. And uh, I'm Java champion, speaker, I love Java, as we all do. So this is why I'm here. Hello, my name is Piotr Przybył. Thank you very much for inviting me. I am self-employed as Software Gardener, hence softwaregardener.dev, and I've been working with Java since 1.3. So I'm really thrilled uh, that it's, uh, you know, after all the ups and downs, it's uh, evolving really fast these days. And I'm really happy to be here. Hi, yes, I'm Simon Ritter. I'm the deputy CTO at Azul, and uh, it's very good to be here today to uh, share my thoughts on what's going on with JDK 21. And I'm Frank Delporte, host of this podcast. Uh, I'm a technical writer at Azul, but very interested in everything that's happening in Java. And that's why I'm creating these podcasts. Yes, 21, we are there. It's a pity they don't release it on September 21st. It's on the 19th, if I'm correct. Are you as excited as me uh, about this new version? Yes, for sure. This is why I'm here to discuss all the excited, uh, you know, features coming up. And this is also one of the uh, short release, six months release cadence that will bring a lot of gyps and features uh, alongside since uh, the new, you know, uh, version that uh, um, release cadence that we had since Java 9. So, uh, yeah, it's a big release, big release. So this is why I'm excited about it. Yes, it's also a difficult release, I would say, from my point of view as edutainer, because just as you said, Mohammed, when you take a look at previous releases, when we had like a few chaps, a handful of chaps, right, then I could easily cover them in one of these deep dive sessions, like two or three hours. Just a few days ago, I was I was trying to give like such similar talk at, at Warsaw Jack, and we had two hours, and I was... I had really the feeling that I was scratching the surface of Java 21 in, in two hours. And I, I'm, of, of course, perfectly aware that big things, like especially like um, virtual threads, didn't happen just over these two uh, previous releases, right? Uh, but it's uh, but it's surely a, a very big, big thing. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you will agree, and, and maybe it's like overstatement, but it may seem that it's like, a, you know, that Java is going to be born again in a way. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, this is quite a substantial release from the 
point of view of JEPs. There are 15 JEPs in JDK 21, and that is a big number because if you go back and you look at some of the earlier ones, the earlier versions, um, we've had ones where there have only been like, you know, maybe four or five. So the fact that we've got 15 JEPs and eight of those are full features, um, seven of them are preview features or incubator modules, um, which still means that they're, they're new to the platform or revisions of the features in the platform. Um, and I think that, yes, I think because this is a long-term support release, um, there are a number of things that they wanted to kind of get in, especially with like virtual threads, make sure that was a full feature so that people could start using that in production as part of the long-term support release. Mm -hmm. We already mentioned a few things which we should dive into is, is JEPS, is long-term supported, uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, let, let's start with the uh, long-term supported. Uh, early this uh, summer, Nikolai Parlock of Oracle, he's caused some confusion on Twitter and, and he had a, a video with, I call it a clickbait title, it's Java 21 is no long-term support version. And as he says, don't worry, there'll be plenty of JDK 21 builds that get free, timely updates and lots of companies that offer commercial support, but that doesn't make 21 an LTS version. Who can explain what's happening here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that that, that, that was confusing. Um, and I, I like Nikolai, he's, he's very good at explaining some of the technical details of Java. But I, I do think that that, that particular um, thing that he did was, was not misleading, but it was too technically accurate, I think is the way I would describe it. <laughs> because what he, was what he was talking about was the fact that if you look at OpenJDK, OpenJDK is the source code of the Java platform, is the open source version of Java. Now that doesn't have the concept of long-term support releases. So he's quite right in what he says there. But the thing is that when people want to use Java, they use a distribution. This is the same as we have with Linux. It's always the analogy that I use. You know, Linux is an open source project. You have distributions. So the distributions of Java, and Oracle are the one who started the long-term support versions, um, Fortunately, all of the distributions other than Oracle have aligned along the same long-term support versions. So JDK 21 is most definitely a long-term support version for all distributions. I will leave it there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, we already discussed this a bit uh, in the podcast about Java 20. Every release of Java is a stable release. So it's a full mm -hmm. usable product safe to use in production or deployment, whatever you want to do with Java. If you want to use a new feature which gets released in what then is called a short-term support version, you can just use it in production. That's a good Java to use, correct? Yes, most most definitely. And this is what puzzles me when I uh, like go uh, in the wild and, and like talk to people. Uh, that they, are, they seem to be so obsessed with the LTS, uh, therefore they're skipping all these intermediate versions, so, sort of, uh, despite not having any paid support. So <laughs> this is like LTS means something if there's this other person who will pick, pick up the phone, right? Or, or like respond to a ticket or performance issues or whatnot, like whatever you encounter. If you just, like, I'm not going to say live the YOLO life, but uh, if, if you don't care to have like a 
proper commercial support, then what's the big deal? I mean, I guess then you should be updating Java like every six months, basically. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. From my point of view, I have a, a always debate about this. Like we have only to migrate since I'm working for companies and they are always thinking like LTS is the, the proper way to move from version to version, which is okay. We can think it like this, but as uh, Peter says, like each six months release cadence version is a stable version, actually. And uh, it, take, it, it, it receives support every six months. If we take Azul, for example, they support release cadences even is not LTS quarterly or uh, monthly based uh, or even based on your subscription so this is a great addition to the community and this is why it drives me to uh, you know for our elevation uh, innovation lab or even when we would like to migrate smoothly we have to take this release cadence six months features based GDK versions into consideration and orders to uh, move smoothly, especially we have a lot of deprecations and removals. It's not like before, you know, yes, we are background compatible, but in order to evolve and innovate in the Java platform, we have to deprecate all technologies, non-use, why we have to support something, does it make any sense? This idea brought to us, like we literally start not depending on LTS so much, until sometimes we have versions that, yeah, we need this feature, we need this performance and memory management. So let's go for production, no problem. Since we don't use any breaking change, even if we have preview feature for, for Project Ember, for example, yeah, we know that mostly it receives uh, the second cycle of preview, it becomes pattern. So it becomes more stabilized, so we can make use of it. So uh, yes, people always fear of like, okay, what's new? I have a post on LinkedIn, very long debate. Someone asking me when I say, like, we have to move from Java 8. Now we are in 21. Mm -hmm. So someone just said to me, what is new if I can do everything I do in Java 8 and Java 9? Yes, this means in Java 11 or 21. Yes, if you are using the same APIs and you don't use anything else, you can just still use Java 8 until it will be dead. Because recently Amazon, you know, they will drop the support for Java 8 for all these services soon. That's always the better, but this is how I think about it. And it becomes more easier to move forward like this, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you because, um, you know, people do discount the, the intermediate releases between the long-term support ones especially in production. And I do get some of the, the value of that because people are looking for that stability that they want in terms of being able to maintain updates. But I think the certainly when I talk to people about this, one of the things that I really try to get across is that even if you're you're sort of aligning on long-term support releases and that's your strategy, what you must be doing is testing with those intermediate releases mm -hmm. so that you are not jumping a, a lot when you move from like 17 to 21, you need to test intermediate releases so that you're aware of what those changes are. Make sure your applications aren't affected by any, like Mohammed said, you know, sometimes we're removing APIs. You need to be aware of any changes that might affect your application. So I think that's the important thing there. There are different kinds of changes to, to, to different JDK releases. So there are these gains, of course, that you can get like a nicer API or, or, or better syntax or something. That's something you can possibly achieve or, or make it simpler for, for like new stuff. Obviously, you're not going to rewrite what you already have. However, there are a lot of things that happen under the hood that you're 
your code is not even aware of this. And I get, guess the best example of this was compact strings without touching, recompiling, doing anything. If you had like a proper Latin one uh, strings, they suddenly occupied like almost half of the, of the hip, right? Without even like redoing the jars. And this is what you were missing. This is what you're still missing. If you're on Java 8, you're paying for that memory. You're paying that garbage uh, correction cycles and whatnot. So the world has advanced. You decide to stay still and therefore you're losing in the race. And the next long-term support is 26? 25. 25. 25. <laughs> <laughs> I lost track. It's two years indeed. If you now start with 21 and then wait for the next one, then you're losing two years of evolution in Java. And that's a bit the story. Yes. Eh? That's a bit the important message here. Um, there are also companies who say, yeah, we're going to change to 21, but we're going to wait one year before it's stable. Do you think that's necessary? I think it's probably wise. Um, and the reason I say that is because, yes, we're, we're introducing new features. And, you know, although, as you quite rightly say, Frank, you know, uh, or other people have said, you know, each of these releases is stable so that there isn't like beta testing of things. And it's not like the there are potentially things that they haven't finished the, the uh, work on. But it is important to understand that when new features are added, there is obviously a testing phase because Oracle and the OpenJDK developers are not able to test everything straight away. So it needs to be out in the wild, people testing it against all those frameworks, all of those different platforms uh, to make sure that everything works in the way they expect it to. So there will be some things that, that will need to be you know, fine-tuned and a few bugs that need to be ironed out. So a lot of people, as you say, are going to wait uh, maybe a year uh, to deploy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into the JEPs themselves. So JEPs are Java enhancement proposals, and yes. they are managed within the OpenJDK project. Now, if you go to the website of openjdk.org, I will add all the links to the show notes, of course. There you can see in the project's JDK 21, a list with all the JEPs. And there we have a list of new features and incubators and previews. Now, the new features are the ones that are really available for everyone. You can just run Java with 21 and you have the new features. Now, what is then the story about the incubator and preview features? Uh, they are the same, but something related to API side and something related to the features. So preview features that uh, uh, we call it feature behind the flag, which you have to enable flag dash dash enable preview in order to use it from your command or your ID. So it's different version compilation, but this is how you have to have a flag to make use of it. So it's an on your own risk because there is my future changes happens that could break. And we have a lot of example of this. Like uh, if we are taking into example like pattern matching for switch and uh, uh, record patterns, for example, so in the previous version, Java 20, uh, it has been introduced that uh, it could be pattern, uh, record pattern could be used in for enhanced for loop. And in this version, it has been dropped. So if you start using this feature and yes, it will work in Java 20 and start using Java 21, it will introduce, you know, compilation error. This is not supported anymore. So this is why we have feature. For incubator, it's similar, but for API, for example, in GDK, then we introduced, for example, client, uh, HTTP client API, but it wasn't completely uh, finalized. So it has to be in under gdk.incubator.whatever the name is of the module until it goes to production, then it will be released in separate 
on its own uh, GDK, which was uh, Simon. He can correct me if I'm wrong. It's like uh, uh, Java.net.http, and then all the APIs when it goes to production. But this is similar concept, and you have to use also uh, the flag to enable it. But uh, one from the API side, which is classes, uh, uh, you know, and all of these kind of things interfaces and the other one uh, preview features when we call it it's for the features itself uh, at the compiler level yes i mean it, the preview features and in incubator modules is, is something that's reasonably new and that is as a result of the six month release cycle we couldn't do this before because if you introduced a preview feature in let's say jdk6 you'd be waiting four years until you could then change that feature in jdk7 it just doesn't make any sense but with a six-month release cadence, uh, preview features and, and incubator modules is, is a wonderful way of evolving the platform in a controlled manner, but still allowing for feedback, which might result in changes to whatever's being developed. And we, we've seen, as Mohammed quite rightly points out, you know, various examples of this in you know pattern matching in Switch, where we, we move from using break to using yield as the way of returning the value and things like that. Um, no, actually, that's not pattern matching in Switch, is it? That's, that's actually uh, Switch expressions. Sorry. My bad. The, the one thing to really get across about both of these things is that they're not, again, beta testing. This is not incomplete features, not still development sort of phase. This is fully formed. Everything is ready, available, and you can use it. The only reason it's, it's classed as preview or incubator is so that there is time for feedback. People can suggest things that they think would be improvements, and then there is still the time to make changes before it is formalized as part of the specification. And thanks to having a very big Java community and a lot of people who are really yep. eager to try out new features, there is a lot of feedback and improvements and evolutions. Okay, as you said, Simon, there are indeed eight new features, uh, seven in preview and incubator. Pick one. <laughs> Which one is your favorite? Uh, that's, that's a tricky one. I mean, I guess the, the obvious one is, is virtual threads because that is a substantial change. It, not in terms so much of the, the program, the way you program, although there, there are some differences in terms of the way you actually create threads, but the thread objects are still the same. It's more the underlying JVM in terms of how we handle threads in that type of um, scenario. So this is all about, you know, thread per request type of applications where you've got like a web server or something like that, where you've got lots of incoming connections and you allocate a thread for each of those requests. And that doesn't necessarily scale very well if you're mapping a thread at the Java level into a thread at the platform level, because you just simply can't scale to thousands and tens of thousands of, of operating system threads. And often with the threads that are being used there, most of the time they're blocking because they're waiting for IO or database access and things like that. So what the JVM is now able to do is to say, okay, we've got a virtual thread and we can then have that, the virtual threads mapped many threads to a single platform thread. So whilst a thread is blocked, another thread the JVM level can make use of the platform thread and you get much more um, better use of the resources available in your system. Mm -hmm. So I think it is a is very substantial change, which is really good for a lot of enterprise applications. I think that's also one of the most written features on Fuji and, and other blocks. I've seen very impressive numbers of uh, being able of doing thousands of things more in the same time. Mm -hmm. Will we see the most use of this in frameworks like Spring or, or server things, which are actually 
implementing these virtual threads and hiding a bit of the logic to the developer? Yeah. No, now this is a good point, you see, because one of the things that, that you mustn't think about with virtual threads is that it is a, a panacea for all problems and that simply by applying virtual threads, suddenly you're going to get better performance. And that's something you really do need to avoid because it is a situation where if you have got lots of threads, which are mostly blocked because they're waiting for IO or database access or whatever, then you can get better performance. But if your threads are CPU bound, and they're doing a lot of work and they're not blocking, virtual threads will give you nothing in terms of performance. In fact, it may degrade your performance because you're then trying to do context switching between different threads on a platform thread and that, that then provides an overhead. So you do need to be careful in terms of how you use them. It's not just like a blanket, okay, let's change everything to use virtual threads and it'll be great. Um, and so, yes, when you talk about Spring and platforms like that, I think they will look very carefully at what they're doing to make sure that they use them in the appropriate way to get whatever performance benefits are available from that. Yes, I think one of the examples is HTTP handling, mm -hmm. getting something from a database, switching to another HTTP call and in between. That's the kind of uh, use cases where you get benefits of virtual threads. Yes, that's why I think there is, uh, or I suspect there is no single like system-wide or global uh, switch that let, now let's start all the threads to be virtual, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the like virtual threads are going to shine when it's, uh, because they're really great when it comes to waiting and you wait mm -hmm. for I.O. Right, so then they're, they're they're great, but when we have like a really computation-heavy tasks, they may actually degrade, uh, like just like uh, Simon said. But there, there's actually we have to think about it more. They, for example, they don't provide any fairness, right? Whoever <laughs> shouts taxi in the street, right, louder mm -hmm. gets the taxi. So they they, for example, they're different than parallel streams in this regard. When you when you take the whole ride like through all the steps, right, and then you have to think about it even more when you add logging. Which is just I/O, and then just when when you when you log something like just log the progress, right? They they're going to get unmounted from the platform thread, right? And so on. And yes, yeah, so so that's why I think many companies and and like vendors are going to be really prolonging this. Maybe it's not even going to take a year, but but longer, right? I mean, Simon, you were there. You obviously know how long it took for generics, right, to to really kick in. Uh, I, I hope that virtual threads would would uh, get um, adopted earlier. But they are they are not like cure for every disease, uh, right? They just for this like let's write, let's handle things asynchronously uh, using this synchronously looking code, and that's pretty much it, right? We have to be uh, we have to be careful about this. I would say we'll see how the like it evolves like with the structured concurrency and so on in the future, because this will be like a new uh, new idioms for, for Java developers, much easier to, uh, to kick in, to start uh, using. Yeah, those are all good points. Especially like when we talk about uh, reactive programming, which is really, really complex way of doing this kind of thing. Structured concurrency yes, will help simplifying this more and more in straightforward natural paradigm of programming. Okay, so we know the favorite one, Jeb of Simon. So that means, Piotr and Mohamed, that you cannot choose virtual threads. <laughs> That's already taken. <laughs> okay. Do you have other favorite ones? For me, like string template, to be honest, because uh, I like string features and enhancement has been done through since JDK even 9 and uh, Piotr mentioned string compact before. So there is always, this is one of the biggest, you know, mm -hmm. Java type that has been used and will be used always. And this it's always source of 
you know, uh, memory consumptions, and if you don't take care of it, and security issues and everything. And as Peter before mentioned, that Java evolving is an evolving. We have a lot of enhancement and simplification done since even text block one of the greatest since Java it came to production, Java 15 uh, text block. So it was amazing feature to simplify the long, uh, you know, uh, text without any kind of identification and uh, plussing and quotation. And, you know, this is uh, was really cumbersome. And with string templates, it's a still preview feature because it's a new one. We still waiting for our feedback to enhance more and more. But when I tried it, I have a great article about it in Java Magazine. I hope to be published soon. And I tried the feature out. It's I found it like it's amazing mm -hmm. because it's uh, it's a preview feature as I have mentioned because it's a new. It complements actually the Java's current string literals. Uh, and text block by combining, you know, like literal text, uh, which is embedded with embedded expressions and processors to generate customized outcome in a secure way. Um, mm -hmm. This language features and its API should completely simplify the Java programming by enabling straightforward expression of the string and incorporate runtime computed values. So you cannot just inject anything and it will be run away and this is improved security. And string template aim is to improve definitely not just, you know, giving abilities and functionality, also readability of the expressions, enhanced programming security. This is very, very important and also increase flexibility and easier usage of the API to accept a string written in non-Java languages. You know, this is also one great feature of this. So the ability to develop non-string expressions through the combination of literal text and embedded expressions is also a key objective of this mm -hmm. API and JIP uh, 430. So it's it's a great feature. I like it so much. And uh, because, you know, we are writing SQL string, we are parsing XML, we are parsing JSON, and you know how hard it is to uh, to pass uh, some values and also compromise the, uh, compromise the security. So. It's very important with uh, string template, we can do this with natural that came out of the box and we can develop our custom processors even if we would like to have engines like SQL mm -hmm. or something like these kind of things with specific security we would like to check, we can have it customized. It's uh, it's out of the box feature to be honest, to be used. Yeah, indeed, and I'm good. also excited about sequence collection, but I will give Poyder also a chance <laughs> to speak about his favorite one. All right, thanks. Uh, I guess I, I will I will still leave you sequence collection. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat like uh, not entirely happy how uh, Java collections look like, but it's a like topic for another discussion, okay? Yeah, but I'd like what you said about other languages. Therefore, uh, since I'm the last one, I decided I will pick two. Sorry, gentlemen. Um, so I like both, um, two things. One is everything that's around uh, pattern matching. You know, so it started with records and switch expressions, and then we're combining, going together, and so on. Uh, because this will make data processing for people much easier. So these data-driven flaws or payloads or, or just like, you know, programs or, or algorithms tackling this, like we have some data in, in, in like in the source and we have to pump it somewhere will be much easier for all these people who are not necessarily experienced in programming in Java. 
right? So then like mean showing like a little demo or this is how we can do that. Like, you know, in, even for this like single use programs or something would be much easier. And then what I also like, and I observe it, we all observe it. It's like this never ending story. It's this foreign functions and memory API. Uh, it's because it allows us calling the, like, if you don't know what these are about, these are about handling off heap memory. So the garbage collector doesn't play with it. Like you have to handle it manually, sort of like malloc and free. And then you have to, oh, then you can call native stuff. And then I'm, I'm sorry, like if I'm pushing it a bit too far and, and I absolutely don't want to start any of these holy language wars, but think about it like, what Python really is. It's a nice syntax wrapper around C, right? Mm -hmm. And now with these two combined, Java will be able to follow this path being much more energy efficient, right? And, and with like, uh, you know, static types uh, with compiler and everything. So it will be as easy uh, and maybe even faster to call the underlying native stuff pump tremendous amounts of data using nice syntax and then get the results uh, out, right? In the in the advent of, you know, AI, ML and whatnot, this might be like, that's why I think it's, it's really uh, being uh, reborn in a way because mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, we started with a language that was supposed to handle fridges and microwaves. Then we were writing beautiful charts uh, using Java applets, then we switch to backends, and now we are going to, you know, yet for another ecosystem. So for a, like a language or 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 a, like ecosystem that's twenty eight years old, it's for me it's it's amazing. I mean, most of my sort of career I've been doing Java, right? And now I see like yet another sort of market uh, opening, and and I, and I think it's beautiful. About if energy efficiency, a few years ago, there was a lot of rumor about a study where they said if C is the, the, the anchor point, mm -hmm. then Java is twice uh, using twice as yeah. much energy, but Python is using 70 times more energy for the same function. And now you're saying Java is becoming more energy efficient. So we're getting very yeah. close then to C. It's in the fourth grade. Actually, yes, and the programming language, one of the least consumption language that you can use as an efficient uh, for energy and electricity and processing now. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a graded like fourth grade after C and, you know, the, the most speedy, which is the one that touches the hardware immediately. And then Java becomes highly ranked above all the other languages. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are happy to see this. And as says like there is a new era especially in big data we are in the era of data and cloud and ai you need a much of processing and if you are trying to scale your machine to to have more memory just to do some processing for large files and uh, uh, this is very non-efficient to be honest like because you you are consuming a lot of memory with waste of time, uh, waste of resources, which is required only for one hour or half an hour or five minutes or something. But if you take uh, this out of the heap and processing and just get the result, it means you are saving resources, you're saving money and cost. This is very beneficial for the management board and you will look at it and it will be more efficient because you don't have to use a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And you know, big data, they tried to do this kind of like spark they try to innovate something like this. They're trying to, to make use of it. And what's amazingly we have, we when we see a very good case and study, 
and solution yes it's adopted in the open gtk and then driven by the people they brought these cases so we're trying to align some people says like yeah you didn't bring something new sorry there is languages have this yes but java is not just the small languages that uh, it can break out and just introduce it it's an ecosystem mm-hmm. it's a lot of vendors it's behind the scene like there is a lot of people has to agree to adopt all of this so i think i just add in there that um uh, and I agree with both Peter and uh, Mohammed about this, because Java is a language. You know, we we pull a lot of things from other places. I mean, even when Java was first released, it wasn't a completely new idea. Garbage collection had been done before. Object-oriented languages had been done before. It used the C C syntax to make it easier to migrate. So <clears throat> it's always been about taking ideas from other languages, and we've seen that a lot. But you know, if you if you listen to what James Gosling said when he first wrote the the language, he said it's designed to be a blue collar programming language. It's about getting the job done in the most efficient way. It's not an academic exercise. It's not about you know how can I make it my kind of language. It's about how to get the job done in the most efficient way, and that's what we're seeing that's still held true today, twenty eight years after Java's launch. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find amazing about these Jeps they follow up on each other and that's why they use the six-month release cycle like the, the whole evolution with records and, and and the pattern matching there is already the idea we want to do to be able to do this in a few versions so we're working towards this goal it's not let's fastly implement something that everyone is requesting it's not just throwing a new feature into java it's really how does this fit into the language, how does this fit into the goal of where we want to be in a few versions, correct? Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, uh, in, in response to that, if you, if you look at the work that people like uh, Brian Gertz have done and Mark Reinhold um, in terms of evolving the Java platform, especially Brian with the, the whole app project Amber, he's done such a good job. And I know it's not just him, but he's the, the chief architect. A lot of people help him with this. Um, but the the way that they have evolved the language is is to my mind, so well done in not, like you said, just throwing new features at it and hoping that they stick. It's like thinking them through very carefully. There's a lot of discussion on like the Amber mailing list and people have the opportunity to to provide input. And Brian is so good about responding to people. If you read the Amber mailing list, he will write a very detailed mm-hmm. response to people when they come up with a new idea. And he, he's he's very good about <laughs> explaining, well, this is a good idea, but you know it, it doesn't actually make sense in terms of what we're trying to do with the platform and things like that. So I, I really do take my hat off to him for that. You're touching now the, the projects, like Project Amber, Project Crack, yeah. where Azul was also involved. What is the order of a project versus a JEP? So a JEP is a JDK enhancement proposal. And if you look at the definition of it, it is supposed to be a small self-contained change to the platform, which is at least, I think it's three months worth of work. So it's not a tiny change. It's a a change that requires a bit of work, but it's not a huge change. Um, The the projects that you talk about, so Amber, um, Valhalla and um, Panama and things like that, they're bigger projects, which have a, a much greater impact on the um the platform as a whole and each of those projects will result in a number of of jeps individual jeps and we've seen that already with amber and with panama because that's the whole um foreign function and foreign memory interface that uh, piotr was talking about so you could say that Um, a jep takes a part of a project to introduce increments in java 
to reach at some point the full project. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think that's a fair way of saying it. Uh, then I have to pick my favorite because I also have one favorite. I do love to talk about Java and introduce the language. I also create a tutorial for Fuji. So it's the removal of the whole hassle around the main. Yeah, so that's JEP445. You don't need to explain anymore why you need that public static main string arc subt. It looks like a small change, but it can actually make it a lot easier to get people into Java, correct? Is that the goal? This is the, this is the main goal. Since we introduced uh, JShell, for example, it's always we need to bring uh, the new student because they have Python, they have different languages, which doesn't require a lot of ceremony to do Java, to do, you know, the hello world. And for us, for me, it's, I, I don't care about it because like I love to write object oriented, but for a new student, because they are lazy enough to not learn and they will have a questions and why we do that. And our time, we love to explain every single keyword and we feel we feel powerful and excited to know about what we are doing. But nowadays, as you can see, people cannot even read five seconds, even, you know, long and the shorties. We are in the era of shorties. So, mm -hmm. yes, this is to, the main idea here to bring people more, especially students, into, you know, the language easily without complex, you know, uh, ceremony about it. Then when they learn it, they will start to, they will get into it later on because they will see it when they involve. So this is the same idea when we have G-Shell. Yes, we used it as a professionals and student because you don't need IDE. I just can have an interpreter. Mm -hmm. We'll use it, and that's it. And then we enhancing more and more for this kind of things, bringing in newcomers to create initial Java programming without any big verbs, things, and explanation and questions mark why static, why main, why da da da, just mm -hmm. like that. But I see it in some other way. If I saw it, I would like, no, I need the complete ceremony as, as for me. I think Simon nice has the same learn. feeling. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm going to be very controversial here, and I'm going to say that this is my least favorite feature in JDK 21. And that's <laughs> like not because disagree. I think it's a bad feature. No, don't get me wrong about that. And I do absolutely see the benefit. But I think that the idea of, of making it simpler to write a Hello World application is, it, it doesn't really help us in, in a great way. Yes. If you look at your very first program in Java, you can make it simpler and you don't have to worry about, well, what are these args and, you know, the, the, the class structure and all sorts of things like that. But the moment you move beyond that, you're going to have to start understanding all of the details about how the platform works. And so making that very first program or even, you know, like a couple of programs, very simple and, and straightforward. Yes, it'll make it more attractive to a few people, but I don't think it's really making that much of a change. JShell is is definitely something I like because I use that a lot because if you're trying if you're trying to do a little bit of, you're trying to write some code and sometimes you you get hung up on a, a small piece of code and the, the syntax and how it actually works. And being able to extract that out into JShell and being able to work on it in isolation is great and I like that. And it is also useful as you said, as Mohammed said, for for helping people get into the the whole idea of Java without having an IDE. Um, and even the idea of um, executing directly from a Java um, source code file without having to go through the two-step process of compiling it and then running it. I like that as well. But um, yeah, the, the, the changing main and, and things like that, 
I, I, like I said, controversial, but I'm I'm not totally sold on that one. It'll um, give me some negative feedback, I'm sure. But <laughs> I guess I guess it might come from the. I'm I'm sorry, Lex. When I look at our faces, I I guess it's quite safe to assume that none of us started programming in Java. So <laughs> so for us, it's like you know. Uh, the concept of main passing arguments and whatnot that was that was when we picked up java it was already natural right it was encoded into our brains and it is not new for the newcomers so my, i myself worked as bootcamp teacher good luck trying to explain what is like encapsulation in 15 minutes uh right and uh yeah so i, I i'm not so sure if it's going to be long-term good or bad i guess it will help some people to pick Java as their first language, you know, where they sit in their like uh, quote unquote basement, right? And just see, hey, maybe I can use my PC for something more than just playing, uh, right? And of course, for, for people who, who write like single use uh, scripts uh, or where they don't care that much about performance because it's like to just extract a piece of code from like a sophisticated system without any bloated framework and just, just need to pump like data from A to B, uh, that's also might going to be useful. But I also like think that this is like maybe like a tiny significant, uh, uh, sorry, a tiny, tiny uh, signal that Java in general is also adopting to the times, right? So at the time, like two decades ago, newcomers already knew any other C-derived language. And these days, it's no longer true, perhaps. So maybe we just need people to pick Java as their very first programming language, or they tried language without these constraints, right? Uh, like public static, blah, 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 blah. So maybe maybe that's the reason. And in that regard, I I, I like it that it's responding to these to this needs, like to the change of the society in general. Uh, Simon, I want to touch one thing uh, with you is your book. So uh, we had a lot of reviews also on, on Fuji. As we said before, uh, the discussion with long-term support uh, or not. So you have the OpenJDK project, which is the source code of Java. And then you have all the distributors. And that's actually the story that you want to tell with your book, correct? Yes. Um, it was the idea of, of helping people understand how simple and straightforward it is to migrate from one distribution of OpenJDK to another distribution of OpenJDK and really sort of help people understand all the, the sort of issues behind that in terms of thinking about what different distributions provide in terms of support and, um, you know, things like that. Because, of course, from a feature perspective, we're building from the same source code. And so you're going to have identical functionality. But it's also important to understand things like the TCK, so the Technology Compatibility Kit, which is part of the Java SE standard defined by the JCP through all the different JSRs, and understanding that that gives you that extra level of confidence that if you've run all the TCK tests on a distribution, that it really is going to be a drop-in replacement and you're not going to have to worry about changing your application code, recompiling your application in order to run it on a different distribution. So that was kind of the idea behind the book, was to help people understand how that process can work i also will add a link to the book in the show notes it's free for everyone so they can download uh, the ebook we've said before there's a six month release cycle so that means that uh, we're already now discussing java 21 but we can already look forward to 22. any idea what that will bring there are no jeps yet <laughs> none <laughs> 
but I can guarantee that there will be some that will be follow-ups on the existing preview features in JDK 21 and, and incubator modules. So who knows? Uh, Vector API is on its sixth iteration as a, an incubator module. Yep. Maybe in 22, we'll get a final API. I must admit, I'm not quite convinced why we're spending so long on that one. I don't know why that one's taking so much time to, to finalize, but um, I think there will be some uh, things in that range. Maybe some more pattern matching. I know Piotr mentioned this, and that's another one of my kind of uh, favorite things in this release is the, the fact that we've got more um, pattern matching things, especially the, the idea of uh, unnamed patterns and variables. I think that's a, a great exactly. small I wanted to speak about this. I wanted to speak about this, to yeah, be honest, on. because this is something like introduce really good reliability. And, uh, you know, uh, they are both different concepts, but they are related. Nameless pattern correspond to a compound of record without explicit mentioning of its like names or, or types. Whereas nameless variables can be assigned to a value but remain unused. So it's the same like we dropped underscore to make use of it in some other way. Then this is the time to use underscore as unnamed variables. So represent which is represent both of them. So this literally enhancement, it's a small as Simon has said, but it's increased and enhanced readability of record pattern by just omitting redundant nested patterns and to enhance the maintainability of the code to identify variables that need to be declared but won't be used. I am looking forward to this. It's a preview. Maybe it will be final because if you don't have a lot of feedback, it would be nice to have it as finalized. Yeah, I can imagine it'll be finalized in 22. Um, that's my prediction, mm -hmm. at least. Um, the other thing is maybe they'll extend that a little bit further and allow you to use it in Lambda expressions. That would also exactly. be really good. That was exactly. the, the original idea behind making a single underscore, which used to be a valid variable name in JDK 8 and earlier. And then in JDK 9, they made it a, uh, a reserved word in effect. So you couldn't use it as a variable name. And the, the original idea was to use that as uh, an unnamed variable in Lambda expressions. But now that we have pattern matching as well, uh, they did it with that first. So this is the same concept like var. We have it for your normal introduction. Then we another enhancement has came into Java 11 to use it with Lambda expressions also. Exactly the same concept. Thank you for this point. We talked a lot about JEPs that really influence the language and the runtime, but there are also things happening inside the runtime, like uh, the garbage collector. Uh, there was, uh, I think, a feature that is not included is with uh, Shenandoah, where something has changed. But uh, there is JEP. Uh, 439 about generational uh, ZGC. Can you give a bit of details of what's happening there? Okay, this is like, yeah, it's as Simon mentioned before, it comes, sometimes we have a lot of enhancement comes like thousands of enhancement in security and API and some classes and interfaces and things that is not mentioned as the JIPS, but this is like released nodes for and forward and bug fixing and alignment and everything. But when it comes to JIPS, yeah, it requires significant time of work, as Simon mentioned. So this is why they are introduced, but they are not related to change the language as a uh, like synthetic or even as the incubator or preview feature for new things. It's just ongoing. It's related to GVM. It's related to the distribution of the GDK or some other security enhancement, but takes more time. So about this one, uh, this chip uh, 439 uh, for the generational uh, ZGC, it's aimed to enhance the application performance to expanding, you know, the Z uh, garbage collector 
and its capability to manage distinct generations of young and old objects. Young objects often have a short lifespan and introducing a separate generation uh, that should enable the GC to perform more frequent collection of young objects. So applications that use uh, generation, uh, generational VGC, which first appeared in, by the way, in Java 11 as an experimental feature and goes for production are expected to gain several advantages. One of these like reduce reduced chances to allocate delays, decreased heap memory over the uh, overhead requirements, and also uh, diminished CPU overload and overhead from garbage collection activities. So these advantages definitely should uh, be uh, attainable without a notable decrease in the throughput compared to the non-generational variant of ZGC. I'm so excited about what I saw uh, the other day. Uh, so I was, yeah, uh, preparing this, like why you should uh, migrate uh, or, or bump your SDK version. And I really love this these changes to SDK that make my application uh, run faster without me moving a finger or moving it just slightly. So uh, yeah, ZGC, the, the, the whole point, if you don't know about ZGC and, and Shenandoah is that we have really short uh, stop the world pauses, right? So when, when basically garbage collector shouts, uh, everybody freeze, right? And and your application has to park everything so you can do like this, uh, this uh, like uh, garbage collection and compacting and everything. And I have like very biased and subjective uh, benchmarkish sort of code. Uh, and I've run it with Java 15 with ZGC. And uh, the longest pause I detected or recorded was 1.1 millisecond. And then I ran this exactly the same code with with uh, with CGC using Java 21, the latest EA that's supposed to be GA. And the longest pause was 27 microseconds. Just oh. just like so, if this was my payload, right, my my actual like production uh, uh, stuff, I would be switching to Java 21 <laughs> already. I mean, so like EA or not, I don't care. Like, and then I, I see, I'm, I see this, you know, this, all these folks, uh, like from the high uh, frequency trading or whatnot being so like, what? So why did we bother with all these primitives and whatnot? Like, where did we avoid, avoid like this garbage collector, uh, collector languages and so on? And now it's like microseconds. It's, it's really, it's really happening. I, I'm, I'm really excited about these, these changes. And, and there are also changes like to G1 and other garbage collectors, right? And then it's like, they, sometimes they might not make it into JEP, but they, they make tremendous impact on, on, on your payload because you don't have to even recompile your code. Just mm-hmm. change a flag or two, like how you, how you build your image, how you deploy your application, and that's it. For me, it's almost like magic, almost like Christmas. So. <laughs> that's the same story as you said with the strings, improvements in string. Yeah. Just jump to a new version of the runtime and your existing code will run a lot smoother. You know, if, if you're running, if you're using JDK uh, 8 for your program and just migrated, just migrated, you didn't do anything to Java 11, you will gain a performance hit like up to 60% out of the box without changing anything. This is because of the GVM enhancement, mm-hmm. uh, garbage collection, and, you know, 
Uh, since even this release cadence, we start to have a bunch of garbage collection, not just contributed from Oracle or OpenGDK community, it's outside of the community like Red Hat, Azul, and this. Like we have bunch for different cases. So we have more performance gains when we move on to uh, migrate to new GDK, not just because of the language feature mm -hmm. or something. Like I always say the Java platform is about the GVM, not the language, because I can use Kafka and I can use whatever, it's synthetic sugar, how to use this GVM. This is why you have different bulk languages that finally, at, at the end, they have to use the GVM to compile and run. Mm -hmm. So th th this enhancement things like all about the GVM, and you know all its components. I, this is why I love Java. Question here is: Do we have enough time just for for one other small discussion? Because related to what Frank was saying about, and in fact Mohammed was saying about, in terms of uh, changes which are at the JVM level rather than the syntax level and the API level. There's one here that's quite interesting, which is JET451. Prepare to disallow the dynamic loading of agents. I know that has been mentioned in in the list that uh, somebody came up with. What's interesting about this is that this is related to security, which is to make the, the platform more robust and, and more hardened in terms of things like that. So this is a JEP which is just proposing at the moment that will issue warnings when you try and load dynamic agents at runtime. And at some point in the future, they may turn off the ability to do that by default. And what we're also seeing is that leading in another direction as well. There's a big discussion at the moment on the JDK dev uh, mailing alias about doing the same thing for JNI and the foreign function, foreign memory uh, APIs. And that I think is, is quite interesting because that has created, a, like I said, a lot of discussion uh, about whether that is the right thing to do or not. And so it will be interesting to see how that sort of works out in the future. Okay. Anything you want to add? I think I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Just right. one more thing, if I may add. Uh, it's like when Java switch like this this release cadence so that we had the train departing every six months, everyone was like, ah, so this is how we shall commute now, right? And it, it was like quite a like shy modus. It's just how you reorganize traffic in the city, mm -hmm. basically. And there are of course like the smaller trains, like you know, the minor releases happening in between. And now it seems, and I'm really thrilled to see this, it's 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 as Americans say, it's so amazing that now every six months, the train gets longer and longer because everyone wants to jump in, like Mohammed said, with their little tiny changes here because we observe this for this scenario, for that scenario, there's like a, you know, uh, uh, like, a, like a downgrade or, or, or like a, another bug or something. And the, all these like people, like cloud vendors and whatnot, right? They, they also want to like add the tiny little bit, but this, Tiny little bit makes us all uh, basically happier, right? As a, as a users of of not even like as, as programmers, but because we don't create the systems just for ourselves, right? There's eventually someone using the system, hopefully for something meaningful, not just cut pictures on the internet, right? But uh, yes, uh, that's why I I think like after this time, it was right decision to make it like six months release. Really, I mean, okay. it made sense. It goes successful. Like we we have doubts about this, but every time it enhances more and becomes more stable, release you know uh, uh, release cycle. 
So at least we know we have pattern, everything goes smoothly, and even the teams get used to this release cycle and become more confident how they can release the feature and when and when not and what to drop and to complete what they have mentioned, actually. So it takes time, but it proves it is really successful and more innovative than waiting for four years or, or, or five years for something. Except for the people who have to maintain static analyzers and IDEs. Yeah. <laughs> they have to evolve indeed. But I yes. think that's a very nice conclusion. We invite everyone to jump on the train, to pick train 21, start using it definitely uh, in your development, uh, check the new features, also maybe the preview and the incubator features and what you can do with them, give feedback to the community, how you use them, what you think is good or bad. Uh, and that keeps the Java language uh, evolving. Thank you uh, for joining this podcast, uh, my guests, of course, the listeners. Keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to Java world. There will also be other events related to the Java 21 release on Fuji. So uh, have fun uh, reading, listening, watching movies, uh, all about the Java evolutions. Thanks a lot. Give me a food. Give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.